you brought a Bible, go please to 2 Samuel chapter 5, 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 1. 2 Samuel is in your Old Testament, and if you get the Psalms, you got to turn back. And 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 1. It reads, now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. And Naaman went and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. And the king of Aram said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothing. Verse 8, now it happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes and that he sent the word to the king, saying, why have you turned your clothes? Now let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege, the blessing of being in your house. There's no place like the Father's house. And this morning as we come to the table to eat of the bread of the word, I pray that you would speak by me the word of God. Anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God and anoint the hearing of this congregation that we might together be encouraged and put into action the word which we hear in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name, and the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The story of Naaman is perhaps one of my favorites in the Old Testament for a variety of reasons, but it is one that I think all of us in some level can relate to. The Bible tells us about a man that we have read about in these first few verses of, of, the, of the scripture, which we have read, who was a great man. He was the captain of the army of the um, nation which he served, that was a neighbor to the nation of Israel. He was a captain of the king of Aram, and through him, God had brought about a great number of victories. He was a war hero, as we would call him. And no doubt if you uh, had the History Channel in his day, he would have been the subject of great military exploits. And they would talk about what Naaman had done and what Naaman had accomplished. He was a man that was highly respected because of his military prowess. And historians tell us that he was also very wealthy. Some say that his armor was plated with gold and that it was a remarkable sight to see Naaman come through any village or town. He was someone that everybody loved to see, and the children in the streets would play 
as if they were Naaman. He was the superhero of their day. There were a great number of people who would have liked to have had his armor. Many people would love to have had his reputation. The problem was nobody would want to have his skin. Because the Bible said that although he was great, and although he had all of these things going for him, and he was so well accomplished, the Bible uses this simple line to describe the whole course of his life. It says he was a great man, great with the king, great in his exploits, but he was a leper. That little word, but, it's a conjunction. It turns the whole sentence around, doesn't it? If I uh, say to you, I love you, but, it kind of sours the whole sentence. If I say, I'm going to help you, but, for Naaman, this was the great turning point of his life. He was great. He was accomplished. He was wealthy, perhaps, but he was a leper. He had been plagued by a disease which nobody wanted to see, nobody wanted to have, and, and one which was very, uh, it caused great fear, brought terror into the hearts of people in his day, still to our day, when we hear leprosy, we think of leprosy, it is not anything we want to come into contact with, if you are worried about catching the common flu uh, or the cold, you don't have to, um, you would be really worried about leprosy. Because when you read about leprosy in the Bible, you see some distinctions about this disease. It is a disease related to sin. When we read about leprosy in the Bible, we read of it being a disease that, that was a part of, uh, of God's judgment on peoples. And at times, it was a, a judgment that God brought upon the rebellion of the people of Israel. But always, the, the, the disease of leprosy represents sin because of the way that it deals with, our, with the human body and the way that it affects a man's life. First of all, leprosy is a type of sin because it separated him from God. When you were a leper, you could not enter into the temple. You could not enter into the tabernacle. You were an outcast from the presence of God. And friends, that is ultimately the result of sin all the time. Sin has but one result, and that, that result above them all is that it separates you from God. Worried that just sin caused havoc in your life and, and made a mess of things, that'd be one thing. But the saddest consequence of sin is that it always separates you from God. Don't ever think, my little sins, my little problems, nobody needs to know. Friend, sooner or later, your sin will separate you from God. When, when you carry around sin in your soul unconfessed, the Bible says that it is rottenness to your bones. It is like decay. When you carry around unconfessed sin, it weighs on you. Ever, anyone in here ever walked under the weight of a guilty conscience? It is a weight, a burden upon a heart, upon a man. And so the only way to deal with that is to bring it and to confess it to God. Because uh, the only way to get rid of the weight of the guilt of man's sin is by bringing it in confession to God. Secondly, sin or leprosy is a type of sin in that it separates a man from his family. When a man was a leper, he was separated from the people that he loved. If you were found to be uh, contaminated with leprosy, then you were sent away to a place that was far from your family and your friends so as not to contaminate them. 
in the days of the Gospels, Jesus uh, uh, encountered many times lepers, and these lepers were always outside of the city, outside of the camp. There were people who were not allowed to come near to where the people were, to where the crowds were, because that contamination of their, of their leprosy might spread into the lives of other people. And so you can imagine a man being separated from a wife that he loves or the children that he loves. And the fact is, friend, that although we don't have a leprosy, sin has the same effect, doesn't it? Sin always separates you from your family. You might think, my sin don't, doesn't cost anybody. My sin doesn't hurt anybody. Nobody is going to know. Nobody is going to find out. The, the, the father thinks my child will not know that I a, a, am drunk. My, my dad won't know or my child won't know that I'm on drugs. But friend, somehow or other things get out. And sin has a way of causing division and separation. And it pushes you away from the people that you love. And that consequence of separation from God and separation from the people that we love is a tragic consequence for everybody. When sin gets into a marriage, it brings division. When sin gets into a family, it brings division. When sin gets into a church, it brings division. And so there is a great need in our life and in our day to constantly be coming to God and saying, Lord, I have sinned. Cleanse me. Make me new, forgive me of my sin, because I don't want the things that I have carried in my life today to be divisive or separating to my life. Say amen, somebody. There has to be in our heart a quickness to repent, a quickness to turn from our sin. You know, on a daily basis, you might be tempted to get angry without cause, to lose your temper, to say things to somebody that you shouldn't say, to be harsh to be rude, to be unkind. You may be uh, tempted by a thought. You may say, Pastor, I just thought it. I never did it. But you see, friend, the, the sooner you confess, the sooner you get that weight out of your life, the sooner you can put it past you, the sooner you can eliminate it from being a useful tool in the hands of the enemy, and you can walk humbly before God and in purity before God. That is God's will for our life. God's will for us that we walk in purity before him. And so Naaman is a good picture for us of the fact that many times we might be able to wear things that cover our problems. We might be able to wear the right clothes. We might be able to wear the right vocabulary. But God knows our heart. God knows what's on the inside of man. The Bible said that it is not what comes into man that contaminates him. It's not the bacon and the pork chops that makes man unclean. It's what comes out of the man. It's what's in the heart of man that God wants to address and that he wants to cleanse. Now Naaman has this problem. And along the, the side of Naaman, there's another situation, another problem. This is a little girl. This little girl was taken captive by Naaman's army. She was a, a, a Hebrew girl, a Jewish girl, and she was taken captive by Naaman's army, and she was taken as a slave, as a servant. And now she is serving Naaman's wife. This little girl was taken against her will. She was taken without any cause of her own. Nobody had the right to 
take her. No one had the right to do this to her. And so she was the subject and the, the object of this abuse. She was uh, the object of this misfortune because she was a, a child who was put into a situation outside of her control. Now we began to see that although Naaman has some problems, that the people in his house have problems too. And this little girl uh, is, is, a, is a reminder of the fact that sometimes things happen in our lives that we cannot control. I, I know that many of you, perhaps as children, endured some hardships and some things that still follow you to today. Maybe some of you, like her, endured the abuse of being separated from the people that you love by force or, or being uh, feeling like you were in an apprehensive and unsafe environment. And, and life tosses all kinds of challenges at us from time to time. And we might say this little girl had every right to, to mourn and to weep and to moan and to say, woe is me. But you see, friends, there might not be anything you can do about your past, but there's a whole lot you can do about your present. There may not be anything you can do about what somebody did to you that was out of your control, but you do have some decisions to make today, don't you? There are some choices that you have to make. And this little girl had to decide, am I going to be sad? Am I going to be uh, discouraged? Am I going to be depressed? Am I going to be broken? Am I going to carry the baggage of yesterday around? Or am I, going to, am I going to enjoy the fact that the Lord is with me and that nothing whatsoever can destroy me because if God before me, who can be against me? This little girl had some faith. This little girl had some confidence in God. And I don't, I don't know much about her. The Bible doesn't say anything really about her except these few little details. But from what she does, we know this, she must have had some godly parents who taught her the word of God. If you're a parent this morning, I just want to encourage you, pour the word of God into your children. Pour it in in the morning, in the noon, and in the evening. Get the word of God into them. Don't worry so much about making sure that they get to see the latest movie. Don't worry so much about making sure they get the latest video game. Make sure they get the word of God in them. Because when they're out and, and doing the thing that the world wants them to do, it's that word that's going to keep them. It's that word that's going to preserve them. It's that word that's going to protect them. Come on, they might be able to run from mom and daddy, but they can't run from the seed of the word that is in their heart. Say amen, somebody. Get the word into them. However they can. However you can. This little girl had the word in her. She had faith. Now she heard as she uh, worked around the house, she heard, Naaman just got back from the doctor today. And um, they say he has leprosy. And then a few days later, she overheard maybe somebody saying it, it seems to be getting bad. His condition is becoming too hard to conceal. This is going to become a major problem for the nation. And these rumors are going around the house, and this little girl is listening. Now, in her heart, she could have harbored resentment and bitterness and said, that's what he That's what he deserves. She could have gone to her prayer chamber and said, Lord, thank you. 
giving him what he deserves. Because nobody should have done this to me. She could have gone into her chamber and rejoiced at the fact that her enemy, that her, uh, that her uh, captor was in trouble. But friends, when you have been in, in touch with God, he, he makes you be at peace with your enemies. Jesus said, do not persecute your enemies or, or curse them, but bless them instead. And you say, Pastor, that's good for Jesus, and it might be good for you, but it's tough for me. It's tough for me to bless somebody that has cursed me. It's tough for me to forgive somebody that has hurt me. Can I tell you, friend, that when you begin to walk by faith in that and you begin to bless those who have hurt you, that you will find that there is more power there than you could have found any place in the world. Come on, somebody, that the gospel works. The love of God works when you work it. When you wake up in the morning and you decide, I'm not going to carry yesterday's baggage around. I've got too much to live for. I've got a devil to fight. I can't get distracted by yesterday. I've got to go forward. I've got to move on. And that was the kind of faith this little girl had. She didn't desire her, her, her lords or her masters disaster or cursing, but rather... She said to her mistress, she said to the, the woman of the house, she said, I wish that my lord, my, my master, that Naaman was in Israel. Because in Israel, we have a prophet from God. In Israel, we have a man that hears from God. Friend, this little girl had a testimony. It was a testimony of faith. I wonder if there's anybody in here this morning that has a testimony. I wonder if there's anybody in here that when you run into somebody on the street or in the marketplace that you say to them, I wish that you would go by uh, and, and hear the, the word of God at Kingsway Church. I wish that you would go by and see what God is doing in the house of God. I wish you would come by my small group and hear the Bible study we're, we're, we're studying. Because if you could get a little bit of what God is doing, if you could get what God is saying, I know that God could do something for you. Uh, is there anybody in here that has a testimony that says, I, I wish you knew the Jesus that I know. I wish you knew the Bible that I know because there's power in his name. There's power in his word. She had a testimony. I wish my master was in Israel so that he could be ministered to by the prophet. Now, her faith was such that she said something that was interesting, she actually obligated Naaman, or obligated the prophet to something that he had never done before. She said, if, if, if my master were to go to Israel and, and, Naaman the prophet, and Naaman would allow Elisha the prophet to pray for him, Elisha would cure him of his leprosy. Now, the fact is that up until this point, Elisha had never done a miracle like that. He had never cleansed a leper before. In fact, there were very few instances at all in the Old Testament when, when God had cured a leper. But this little girl 
was now confessing something that was not as though it was. She had in her spirit some faith that said, if God can part the Red Sea, he can cure a leper. If God can do it once, he can do it again. Come on, somebody. Is there anybody in here that has that kind of faith that says, if God did it for me, he can do it for you. Come on. If you know that he can, shout amen. She had a faith that said, I, I don't know if Elisha's done this or not, but I know that God can. You see, sometimes you need God to do something that you have no experience with. Have you ever needed a miracle that you never had needed before? Can I just tell you, God can? I don't think you heard me. I said, God can. I said, God can. You say, Pastor, I've never seen anybody do this before. God can. You say, I don't know. I've never seen this done. God can. God can do exceeding and abundantly above all that you can ask or even imagine. Is there anybody in here this morning that will dare to trust God? That will dare to believe God? That will dare to say, Lord, I know that you can. Here's this little girl. And she's moving the entire kingdom with her pinky finger because she had some faith. She had a confidence in God's ability to work on behalf of those who trust in him. Now that's all we know about her. But it's enough to know that God can deposit faith even in the smallest vessel. That God can deposit faith even in a nobody. Even in somebody whose name we don't know. Somebody whose family tree we don't know. Can I just tell you that if God has deposited faith into you, run with it. If God has deposited faith into you, testify. If God has deposited faith into you, preach the word. Come on somebody, go and do exploits. Because that faith has power in your life. The power of God to move mountains. Now we see Naaman and and Naaman is a political leader, so he goes through the political channels. He goes through the channels that he's known, knows and understands. And he goes to the king and he says, King, they say that in Israel there's a prophet who can heal me, who can cleanse me. And the, the king says, well, I'm going to go through the channels that I know. So he writes a letter to the king of Israel, the king of Samaria. And and uh, they write this letter, and the letter is taken by Naaman to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel receives the letter. And the letter says, you know, if you can, if you can cure uh, Naaman, please do so. We, we will be at your, at your uh, command if you will do that for us. And the king who is in control, the king who has all the political influence, tears his garments. And he says, who am I? Am I in the place of God? I can't heal anybody. You see, you got to be careful who you pray to, church. you got to be careful that you don't go and try to pray to people who have no power. 
Don't go to kings that have no influence. Go to the king of kings and the lord of lords. M many of us have tried to go through the channels that we know. Can I tell you the channels that you know don't work. They don't lead anywhere. Some of you tried the drug channel and it failed. Some of you tried the sex channel and it failed. Some of you tried the money channel and it failed. Some of you tried the influence channel and it failed. Can I tell you try the Jesus channel. This is the channel that never failed. This is the course that leads to victory. The course that leads to victory is Christ. Now, because Elisha is a man of God, he sends a message to the king and he says, King, I have heard that Naaman is here. Send him to me. Send him to my house. I want to address the situation. And so Naaman goes to Elisha's house. Now you can imagine Naaman with his gold armor and his chariot and his horses and hundreds of shekels of gold and silver and nice clothing. All of these things with which he intends to buy a miracle with which he intends to buy a solution to his problem. And he goes and he comes to this little house where Elisha lives. And they knock on the door. He, he's expecting the, the prophet to come out. No doubt by now he has heard all about this prophet and how he's able to call a powerful acts of God and able to do extraordinary miracles. And so he's waiting at the door for this great potentate prophet to come out. He's waiting for some man of influence to come out. And instead of the prophet coming out, his little no-count servant comes to the door. Already Naaman is not happy about this. Because in his circles, in his world, in his, in his place of influence, you don't send a servant to talk to a, a, a man like Naaman. You come to talk to him face to face. But Elisha sends his servant and he says, go tell him to wash in the Jordan River seven times. So here comes Gehazi. My master said for you to go and wash in the Jordan seven times. The Bible says Naaman grew hot, angry. I don't want to talk to a servant. I want to talk to the man. I want to, I want to talk to the, to the prophet. And then he grew hotter because he told him to go wash in the Jordan and and in order to come into the country, Naaman had already crossed that Jordan and he had seen that Jordan River. And for those of you who have seen the Jordan as I have, you know that the Jordan is a very murky river. It's not a, a beautiful river. It's a desert river. And so it doesn't have a lot of attraction. It's not a very beautiful river. The, the thing is about the Jordan that when you, when you dip a glass of water into the Jordan, it's it's dirty and murky, but when you pull it up, the water is crystal clear. 
And God was giving Naaman a simple instruction. Go and bathe in the Jordan seven times. Naaman says, are not Abanan far, far, the rivers of Damascus, greater rivers than the river Jordan. He says, you know, I'm not going to go and, and dip into that dirty river. I have better rivers back home. I have better solutions back home. He was saying, I'm going to just go back and do what I've been doing. Friend, if you stop to think about it for a moment, you already tried that and it didn't work. You already tried that and it failed you. Come on, if those were better rivers, they would have cured you by now. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? Don't go back to what you used to do. Don't go back to who you used to lean on, who you used to depend on. If it could have saved you, it would have saved you by now. Say amen, somebody. Abana's far, far better rivers than the Jordan. But you see, friend, that's the message that many men give back to God. They say, God, I'd rather go and do what I know. I'd rather go and do what I'm accustomed to because that Jordan River is dirty. But you see, that Jordan River was a type of the blood of Christ. There are still many today who say, no, no, not the blood. No, no, not the cross. No, no, not Jesus. Not that weak Galilean who got himself crucified. I can't go to him. I'd rather go my own way, friend. If you go your own way, you'll be lost forever. There is only one way to be cleansed of the leprosy of sin, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. If that, if that cross has made you free, shout amen. You know the power of the cross, of the blood of Jesus. People think, no, my philosophy will do it. My education will do it. My money will do it. My influence will do it. Friend, there is only one river that can cleanse the soul and cleanse the conscience, and that is the blood of Jesus. The Bible said that the blood of Jesus cleanses the conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. It's the only thing that can cleanse. It's the only thing that can wash away the impurity of sin. The only thing that can wash away the impurity of man's sinful dilemma. Can I tell you this morning that there is still a river flowing wherein and whereby you can wash and be made clean. There is still a place where your conscience can be made right with God. There is still a place where the sinner can be sanctified, where the broken can be mended. There is still a place where the sick can be healed. Come on, somebody. There is still a place flowing with crimson red blood that heals the soul of man. The blood of Jesus still does extraordinary work. Why we sing, oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes white as snow. That's why the old hymnist wrote, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Naaman gets on his chariot and he heads home. Have you ever left church mad? Just not an altar call. Right. Just a simple survey. You know, some people have left church mad. Should I hide behind the pulpit? 
I don't know how you leave church mad. But some people have left the house of God mad. Because they didn't get the answer that they wanted. Because they didn't hear what they wanted. Naaman left the house of the servant of God angry because he didn't hear what he wanted. What he wanted to hear was, you can buy a miracle. What he wanted to hear was, it's for sale. What he wanted to hear was, your breakthrough will cost you a few shekels. But what he heard was that the only way to be cleansed is to wash in the Jordan. And that was not what he wanted to hear. He didn't want to hear that. But you see, friend, that's the simplicity of the gospel. Men want to buy from God what God won't sell. The only way to receive from God is by faith. The gracious gift of God. The Bible said that that the, the gift of God is by grace so that none will boast in his presence. God won't sell you salvation. He won't sell you a miracle. He won't sell you a breakthrough. The only way to receive it is by faith. You say, well, pastor, what if I walk into church or, or crawl into church on my knees from the door all the way to the altar? That won't get you anything. The only way to receive from God is by faith. What does a murky Jordan have to do with cleansing lepers? Nothing. What does the blood of Jesus have to do with your sin? Perhaps nothing, but it's God's recipe for, for the cure. While they're moving away, one of Naaman's servants got his attention. And I, I just want to thank God for some people in our life who spoke some sense into us. Have you ever had anybody speak some sense into you? Did you ever have to have some sense knocked into you? Many times. Naaman was on his way home, mad, upset, angry. And his servant says, Master, if the prophet had asked for something hard, wouldn't you have done it? If he had told you to do a difficult thing, Surely you would have done it. But he's asking you to do something easy. He's telling you to just go wash in the Jordan. You see, Naaman's problem was his pride. He didn't want to hear from Gehazi. He wanted to hear from the prophet. He didn't want something for free. He wanted something for sale. He didn't want it God's way. He wanted it his way. But you see, until he bends his pride, he can't be cured. He goes down to the banks of that Jordan River and he begins to wash. And after he has washed these seven times in the Jordan, the Bible said that his skin became as the skin of a baby. 
Every spot of leprosy was gone. Every single trace of his past was behind him. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Would you over evil a victory win? There is wonderful power in the blood. Oh, we sang it in the old days. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. Friend, I don't have a difficult message. I don't have a difficult gospel. I don't have three hoops for you to jump through. I just have but one thing to say. Turn to Jesus. Jesus saves. Jesus heals. Jesus baptizes in the Holy Ghost. Jesus can change your life. Jesus can save your marriage. Jesus can restore the ruin of your soul. Come to Jesus. There's power in the blood. There's power in His name. There's power in His grace. Wonderful power in the blood. If God had asked you to do something difficult, you would have done it. But this morning, it's a simple thing. He says, if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. Maybe this is the first time in your life you've heard about the power of the blood of Jesus. Maybe this is the only thing you've ever heard in all your life. You say, Pastor, I've already heard about the blood a thousand times. I hope you hear about it a thousand times more, saint, because it's the only way to victory. It's the only way to victory. 